You're listening to the Overeaters Anonymous Mid-Peninsula Podcast. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. For more information, please visit oamidpeninsula.org. Hi, I'm Donna. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and bulimic. Um, Thank you, Laura, for inviting me to speak at this meeting. Um, I've never been here before, um, but there are some familiar faces um, because I sent a message to try to have some of my fellows join me at this meeting uh, for their emotional um, and spiritual support. Um, So Laura told me that it's, um, I should share how it started, um, what changed and where I am now. Um, I believe that I was born a compulsive overeater. Um, I, my earliest recollection of um, my mom's preoccupation with my food was when I was four years old. And this is actually my own memory. It isn't like a story that was retold to me. Um, But I remember being in the yellow room at uh, the Jewish Community Center Preschool in St. Louis, Missouri. And Mrs. Beverly said to me that I could not have seconds on potatoes. Uh, that my mom had asked her to limit and regulate the food that I was eating. And uh, later in life, when I asked my mom if that recollection was accurate, she said, yeah, you were fat. Um, So the preoccupation with food and the uh, perception in my mind that I was fat and that I needed to control Um, what I was eating, and that I needed to have some strategy in place to manage my weight um, began and was firmly implanted by the time I was four years old. Um, And the disease progressed. Um, By the time I was um, in middle school, um, I became a restrictor. Um, I would only eat apples and Diet Coke. Um, I stopped menstruating at some point, and uh, when I would get up from bed, I would faint. And um, in high school, I started playing field hockey, and there was some danger in fainting with a bunch of girls and sticks. And uh, so that's when I discovered the quote-unquote magic of bulimia, and I started binging Um, and purging. And I would purge by vomiting. I would purge by laxatives. I would purge by compulsive exercising. Um, I would purge by uh, sweating in a sauna. I would purge by spitting in a cup. Um, Anything to make the number on the scale read back to me that I had worth and value. I was a success um, and I was 
I guess, performing well in life. Um, while all of this preoccupation with my weight and food was going on, um, I was a straight A student. Um, I had a lot of friends um, and I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. Um, my father is a Holocaust survivor and my mom fled communist Romania. And um, in therapy, I had a therapist who once said to me, um, although I was growing up in the suburbs of St. Louis, uh, my parents brought the gulags of Eastern Europe uh, straight, straight to St. Louis. Uh, the bulimia progressed. Um, I finished my undergraduate degree in three years with a 4.0. Um, I did a master's degree, um, got a 4.0. Finished my master's degree, got the best job offer out of my business school. So I was very high performing um, in that regard while, while in private dying from this disease. And once I started making money, I tried everything, everything in my power. I mean, everything at the time. Now, now I meet young women. They've tried things I haven't tried, and it's baffling to me. But, um, you know, I tried traditional talk therapy. I did medications for mental health. I did medications for weight loss. I did hypnotherapy. I did Reiki. I did chiropractic. I did massage. I did energy healing. I once went to a music healer who banged tambourines around my head to, like, get the bulimia monsters out of, my, out of, out of me. Um, I mean, drum circles, everything. Ultimately, I met um, a woman when I moved to Denver um, who was a physician, is a physician. And she told me that she was bulimic. And I said, well, you know, what's wrong with you? Like, you're a doctor. How could you possibly be bulimic? And um, I said, is there anything, anything that would help me? And she pointed me to OA. She said that when she did her medical school training in New York City, she went to an OA meeting every single day. So I went to my first meeting, um, and that was in 2001. So it's been over 20 years, and um, I never stopped, never stopped going to OA. Um, it just so happened that my first meeting was a how meeting, um, and I learned at that meeting that I should abstain from alcohol sugar and refined flour. And I did that. And I did the questions and, and I went to many traditional OA meetings. And I, I, my first abstinence was from those particular substances because I was told to abstain from those substances. Um, I abstained from binging and purging. Um, I always had a sponsor and I, and I took direction to the best of my ability. Um, ultimately, I found my way to the study of the big book as it applies to compulsive overeating and bulimia, and that really changed um, my outlook on the disease, and it helped me to understand the twofold nature of the disease, which is the obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body, that when I ingest foods that I'm allergic to, it triggers something inside of me that I will never, ever, ever be able to control. If I eat any sugar in any amount, I am playing Russian roulette and I have no idea 
um, when, when I may or may not stop. The second part of the disease, the obsession of the mind, is the part that lies to me, that tells me this time will be different. This time it won't hurt me. This time it will be okay. So it, it sort of, I live with this um, like delusion, this lie in my mind that tells me it's okay. It won't be that bad this time. It won't kill you. It won't destroy your life. It won't take everything away from you. Um, and that's why I work. That's why I work the steps. That's why I constantly thrive to grow in my spiritual program. Um, the big book says the point is we're willing to grow along spiritual lines. And I have been willing to do that. It hasn't been an easy journey. It hasn't been a straightforward journey. Um, before I talk about my spiritual program further, what I will say is that when I came to be a student of the big book, um, I continued to abstain from um, my what I call my allergic food ingredients. Um, and many of my compulsive food behaviors. And although I did that, I continued to volume eat. So every three to four weeks, I'd have an episode where I would eat just a ton of food that was quote unquote abstinent. So one night, for example, I ate an entire Chuck roast. Um, I'm married. And so I call that my night with Chuck. That was my menage a trois in which uh, Chuck was a part of my, my, my relationship with my husband. Um, I ate an entire Costco-sized package of smoked salmon. I ate um, an entire Costco-sized bag of frozen blueberries. Um, I once ate so many raw red peppers that I had red juice stained around my lips like a clown, and I actually went to a meeting looking like that. And everyone around me said, you know, it's not that bad. You're still abstinent. You're not eating your alcoholic foods. You're not, you're not drinking alcohol. You're not eating sugar. You're not eating flour. It's not that bad. You're doing great. You're just doing great. But I lived with the shame, the remorse, the regret. And I was having a very hard time believing that my program was okay. Um, about three years ago, I met a woman who said to me, you're lying to yourself. You're not abstinent. And that volume eating is killing you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. There is no way that you have a connection to a higher power if when the compulsion to run away from life leads you to volume eating. And she helped me to get honest. And um, I went to see a nutritionist. I have a relationship with my nutritionist. And um, I said to her, these are the foods I cannot eat. Please give me a weight maintenance food plan that I can trust. And from there, I learned that anytime I had the desire to eat beyond my food plan, that was my disease. It wasn't hunger. It was the obsession of the mind that was telling me. And the interesting thing is my disease, my disease only knew two sentences, have an apple or have a cucumber. It never said to me, Donna, have an apple and then a jar of peanut butter and then a chuck roast and then 
a bunch of bananas and then you will feel like shit and you will want to die. What it said to me was have an apple and that'll be it. Or have a cucumber and that'll be it. Its voice was so innocent and alluring and seemingly innocuous. And I fell for it over and over and over again until this sponsor had said to me, anything in excess of your food plan is your disease and you will always, always lose. Those first few months, I felt like I was dying. I lost the biggest coping mechanism of my life. I lost my greatest sense of security. I lost, it felt like I was losing everything. And those first few months without volume eating, um, every night I would have to call people and text people. And I would say, I have the desire to volume eat. And there were people who questioned me. There were people who said, you can't possibly really be working the steps or else you wouldn't want to volume eat. You can't possibly really have a spiritual program or you wouldn't want to volume eat. There's no way you're recovered or else you wouldn't want to volume eat. You need to look at your food plan. You must still be eating foods that are triggering the obsession if you still want to volume eat. One of the things that I learned is that my disease is just that powerful and that it continues, although it has been um, almost three years um, since I've had any volume eating, um, which is mm, inclusive of not eating any of my um, alcoholic food ingredients, there are still times that I want to volume eat. And I still do the same thing. I text everybody I'm everybody I know in program, and I say I have the desire to volume eat. Until somebody writes me back and says, "I see you, I hear you. You're not alone in this disease, and you do not have to pick up." So that was hard. It's hard. It's hard not to volume eat. And there are times that I still fantasize about feeling full, feeling stuffed, feeling like I couldn't possibly need anything more in my life. And I have to turn to a higher power, one that I don't understand, one that is a mystery to me, one that doesn't make sense to me intellectually one that does not fit into my 4.0 photographic memory, know everything, have solutions to every problem, uh, personality. Where does God fit into that? I recently um, joined a workshop, um, which is a study of the big book um, as it relates to chaos creating, controlling, fixing, obsessing, worrying. I mean, I have found my way home. Um, So I'm now getting, by working the steps at a deeper level to the core of my disease, which is the terror that I live alone. The absolute, I mean, I learned from my parents that Jewish people are hated, that I am not safe, 
that at any time somebody could come to my home and say, you need to leave. You need to go. People want you dead. My grandparents lived in Israel and we, we would go in pairs. My brother would travel with my mom in the summer and I would travel with my dad in this winter. And my dad would say to me, this plane, and this is, this is before 2001. This is before 9-11. Like um, my introduction to terrorism began in the 70s. And my dad would say, this plane could blow up. We'd be in Israel. This bus could blow up. You know, just constantly. Everybody hates you. Everybody wants you dead. You need to have enough cash on hand to run. I had a preoccupation with death. Um, and I would ask my dad in the middle of the night, I'd wake him up. Do you think I'm going to die tonight? And he'd say, no, I don't think so. Is there a God? No, we're just animals. The worms will eat us when we, when we leave this life. There's nothing. Don't believe in anything. Um, and so with that, with that prejudice, with that obstinacy, I came into the rooms that told me I had to have a power greater than myself. I cannot fight this disease alone. No human power can help me fight this disease. And very, very recently, um, I've come to see my higher power as the beloved mother that I never had. Although I don't have any personal experience in any human relationship of unconditional love, radical acceptance, soothing, comforting, reassuring. I have to believe that that can be found in a power that is greater than all human power, that it can protect me, that it can soothe me, and that it can comfort me. In the years of my recovery, I got married, which, believe me, when I was bulimic, I, I didn't have time for any kind of relationship. Um, to a wonderful man, um, I had five miscarriages, um, but I do have two children, 13 and 10. Um, I'm raising them entirely differently than the way that I was raised. I changed my profession to one that I, that I love and that I thrive in. I've traveled the world um, and I've continued to be a fellow and a sponsor and a traveler in this room, in these rooms of recovery. Um, I have friends outside of the rooms that I can say have been my friends for over 30 years. Um, when I used to cut people out of my life, I used to kill people. If you crossed me, you were dead. Dead. Two minutes. Thank you, Michelle. So my life is um, altered, completely and totally altered. Um, there was a man in OA um, who's done a lot of speaking. He, he travels and now Zooms all over the world. He's lost and maintained 500 pounds. And, and I did some step work with him. And he said to me, Donna, your life is like science fiction women would line up in the streets to have your life. And despite hearing that, I didn't think there was a God working in my life until very recently I realized that it was my prejudice that was telling me if I was still preoccupied with death, if I still had fear, if I still didn't understand what happened after we die, then there's no God. 
But now I can see that that beloved mother of mine gives me so much and loves me so much. Um, I just have to keep going back and seeking that love. I have to make the decision to seek it and to be conscious of it. Um, And with that, um, I will close. And uh, thank you.